right, well, welcome everybody inside here, everybody outside. That was pretty cool, linking together like that, and everybody watching online. Welcome to all of you. Um, It's good to be with you. My name is Scott McLucas. Um, Some of you guys don't know that because I haven't been up front for quite some time. I am actually the lead pastor. Sudden is not. Okay, so if we can just be clear about that, that would be helpful. Um, Hey, we've been in this series called Hosea. It's an Old Testament prophecy, a book of prophecy, um, and it's probably not well known to a lot of folks. I want to just give you a little historical background. Jimmy, last week, if you were here or listened to that, did a great job. But um, really, the story of the Israelites goes all the way back to God making a covenant with a man that we would, you know, know as Abraham um, most readily. And, and so he entered into this covenant and he told Abraham, who hadn't had any children at this point in time, he said, you know what, you're going to be the father of a, a mighty nation and that uh, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. And, and uh, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you not just for your sake. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations around the world. And here's the deal. I, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. But Sadly, as we all tend to do, they, they began to wander in Rome and to follow other gods of their own making. And what we see in Hosea and Gomer, so his wife's name was Gomer, is we see this illustration of really that relationship between God and his chosen people. We see this, this illustration of um, God being the, this, this loving husband and, and, and Gomer being Isra- the Israelites being this adulterous wife who ha- have chosen to leave the loving arms of, of their husband and to go into the arms of another just for the, the passion and, and the thrill of it, that something wouldn't last. And uh, we see that in this story. We also see ourselves in this story. Unfortunately, we're not Hosea in this story. Um, we are like Gomer. And we tend to be like the Israelites and, and be this adulterous wife and, and stray from God and, and choose other lovers. And so that's where we've been. Now, um, when I left, I said, Sudden, all right, I'm going to put you in charge. You, you get to choose who's going to speak on Sunday and who's going to speak on what. And, and uh, he clearly chose the easiest passages for himself. And so he's already taken those. You probably won't hear from Sutton for quite some time. The, uh, so then, then um, a couple of weeks ago came chapter 8. That's a tough chapter. I don't know if you've read it. So he gave that to Rick, but uh, Rick decided just to tell his own story and skipped the whole chapter under Sutton's guidance, I'm sure. Um, it was a great story. It's a great story of redemption and restoration. If you haven't heard it, you need to hear it, but uh, pretty much did not preach the text at all. Uh, then last week was, was Jimmy, and, and so Jimmy's supposed to cover chapter 9, but he just does the first nine verses of it, and he did a fabulous job if you missed that. And so I come back, and Sutton says, you're up, and you're going to do the rest of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so he sticks me with this, and then uh, he says, look, be, be thankful. I was going to give you 11 as well, so uh, I'm like, thankful. So I'm going to cover um, the rest of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10. And here's uh, the good news. This is the most bleak part of the scriptures I've ever read. All right, it is depressing. It is sad. And so if you would like to leave right now, I just, you have my permission. Get up, go while you can. I mean, it, it is, it's just a sad bunch of scripture. And uh, if you leave now, I think you might be able to catch Joel Olstein. 
He'll be talking about prosperity, I guarantee it, right? So uh, if you're looking for a prosperity message, that's your guy. So go and get out of here while you can. If you choose to stay, I'm just warning you, like, like you may have some conviction, you may have some questions. It is what it is. So with that, if you choose to stay, if you choose to continue to watch, we're going to launch in, again, Hosea Chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. If you have a church Bible, if you're inside, page 895. Now, one of the things that we're going to see here is really how the Israelites, they took God's blessings and they turned them into curses. We're going to see how, how blessings can become curses when you elevate the gift above the giver. The gift above the giver. So um, here are a couple examples in Hosea. First in chapter 9, verse 10, of, of a blessing that they turned into a curse. Um, it begins, the Lord says, Oh, Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. Now, you may recall, if you know anything about the history of the Israelites, that they had been enslaved in Egypt. And that God had promised to rescue them, to deliver them from slavery. And he did that very thing. And he had promised them that he would take them to this new land, a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A, a land where, where the grape bunches were as big as a person's head. Where, where figs were the size of your fist. And so God delivered them out of slavery. But guess what happened as soon as he did that? They began to grumble they began to complain. They were disobedient. And so there was a consequence, and there is always a consequence to sin. And the consequence at that time was 40 years of wandering in the desert. And so after 40 years of wandering, God fulfilled his promise, and he brought them in to the promised land, where they found it all as he had promised. So what did they do with this blessing? Well, let's continue reading. Said, but then they deserted me for Baal Peor. Now, this is the God of rain and fertility that Jimmy talked about last week. They deserted God after he had delivered on his promise. As he had blessed them, they now turned to this false God, giving themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile, as vile as the God they worshipped. So the people had been blessed by God instead of being thankful to God. They turned and they began to worship this false God, this vile God. And they became like the one they worshipped. Blessings can be turned into curses. We see another example of this in, in chapter 10, verse 1. It said, how prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. Again, Hosea uses this imagery of grapes. And imagine just this huge grapevine just loaded with grapes. And he's saying, that's how blessed you are, Israel. That's how blessed you are. And what did they do with that blessing? Well, it said, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. The more bountiful their harvests, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. See, they were attributing God's blessings and his provision to other gods, these, these you know, man-conceived gods, these false gods. They were building altars to worship these gods, specifically Baal. And, and 
resurrecting or, or erecting, rather, not resurrecting, but erecting the, these statues that they would fall down, they would bow down to, and they would worship. These things created by their own hands. That's what they did. They turned blessings into curses. Now, we can do that. Sometimes um, blessings can become curses when they draw you away from God. So blessings can become curses when they draw you away from God. Think about some of the things that, that we would consider blessings. Money, for instance. Money can be a blessing. It can be a blessing. Unless you pursue it more than you pursue God, then it can become a curse. Houses, lake houses can be blessings unless you begin to, to worship them more than you worship God. Spouses can be blessings unless you're unequally yoked and they begin to draw you away from God. A child can be a blessing unless you make an idol out of that child and you elevate that child above God himself. Blessings can become curses if they begin to lead you away from God. Blessings can also become curses when um, we misapply them. Think, think about this for a minute. Sometimes we call, um, you know, prosperity blessings. Like if you're really prosperous, then you are quote-unquote blessed, aren't you? Well, I don't know that we have that right. If you think about it, in, in your times of prosperity, don't you have a tendency to neglect your relationship with God, have, have a tendency to fail to recognize God as the one who has blessed you, so to speak? But think about your times of adversity when things aren't going well. Aren't you quick to pray to God, to beg God, to seek after God? Because you recognize that you have nothing else, nowhere else to turn. I'm willing to bet that everybody here and everybody outside, everybody watching online, that you seek God and you pray to God more during times of adversity than you do during times of prosperity. Isn't that true? Like when things are tough, you're not just praying and seeking God. You're asking others to pray and seek God on your behalf with you, aren't you? When was the last time you did that in the midst of prosperity? Probably not. So sometimes I wonder, do we have this right? Is, is God's blessing really when we're most prosperous? Or could it be the opposite? I don't know. So blessings can become curses when they draw us away from God, but blessings can become curses when we elevate the gift above the giver. Blessings can become curses when we elevate the gift above the giver. Um, imagine, if you will, that you are a parent. This will be easy for some of you because you are parents. For those of you that are not, just go with me. But imagine you're, you're a parent, and you love your children. You have a, a child, and, and, and you provide for that child. You have a house for that child to live in. You even give them their own room. I mean, it's that, that, you're that kind of a provider. They have clothes. They're not running around naked because you have provided these clothes. Not only just any old clothes, but you've got, like, name brand kind of stuff that they're not embarrassed with. You know, and so they're wearing these clothes, and um, you have provided that. Uh, you provide activities and things for them to do, for them to have fun and to enjoy. You uh, 
provide an education for them so hopefully they will grow and become prosperous and successful. You've even provided a church where they can come, they can learn about God, they can worship him and grow in this relationship with him. You've done all this. And then instead of giving you thanks, they thank the old man down the street. They don't even know the old man down the street, but that's who they're giving their thanks to. Not only that, but they take it a step further and they go get a picture of the old man down the street and they put it in a nice little frame. And then they keep that picture on their bedside table and at night they pull it out and they just give them thanks. Thank you so much for all that you blessed me with and they hold it tight. If you were the parent, how would you feel about that? How might you respond to that? You know, Hosea is addressing the Israelites, these really unthankful people who kind of misdirected their thankfulness, who are crediting this God who isn't even a God with all that God, the true God, had done. And this is, this is the response that we see here. This is Hosea chapter 9, verses 11 through 17. And this is difficult to uh, read, let alone hear. So the glory of Israel will fly away like a bird. For your children will not be born or grow in the womb or even be conceived. Even if you do have children who grow up, I will take them from you. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. I've watched Israel become as beautiful as Tyre, but now Israel will bring out her children for slaughter. Oh, Lord, what should I request for your people? I will ask for wombs that don't give birth and breasts that give no milk. The Lord says, all their wickedness began at Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Now, let me just pause there a second just to make sure we, we understand about Gilgal. So Gilgal is the place where they anointed Saul to be the king of the Israelites. He was the first king of the Israelites. Up until that point in time, God had been their king. But they weren't content with God as their king. They looked around at all the other nations, and they, they saw that they had these, these worldly human kings. And they're like, well, we, that's what we want. We, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. And so, God, we want you to give us an earthly king. And God said, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. But it is not going to go well. And they said, we don't care. That's what we want. And so that's what he gave them. And it began to crumble there. It continues on. I, I will drive them from my land because of their evil actions. I will love them no more because all their leaders are rebels. The people of Israel are struck down. Their roots are dried up, and they will bear no more fruit. And if they give birth, I'll slaughter their beloved children. My God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen or obey. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. That's hard, isn't it? I gave you an out. You could have left. You didn't. And so... That's what we're, we're dealing with here. And, and as I read those words, I, I'm thinking, that does not sound like a loving God to me. That doesn't sound like the same God we talk about week after week here. And, and yet it is. And um, I, I think it's important that we remember that God had entered into a covenant with his people. He said, I will be your God. I will be faithful. And you are to be my people 
and yet they were not faithful. And there are consequences to our actions, to our rebellion. And God knew this was going to happen, and he was trying to protect them from this. And, and one of the protections and provisions that he had made was, was this. He said, listen, you're supposed to be a people set apart. You are supposed to be different than everybody else. And here's the thing. Um, I don't want you intermarrying with these other nations. I don't want you to take these women to be your wives because they worship these pagan gods and these women will lead you astray. You'll begin to worship their false gods because you want to please them more than you want to please me. And that's exactly what happened. It said, um, remember it said Baal Peor? This happened at Peor and there was a consequence to this and some 24,000 people died as a result of that. And so God was like, don't do this, because if you do it, they're going to lead you astray, right? If you have children, they are going to follow suit, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to become evil, and they're going to corrupt other people. Not only that, but if you follow them and you follow their gods, these are vile gods. Baal is a vile, vile god. And he required of them human sacrifice. He required that they would sacrifice their children. And so that's what Hosea is speaking into here. He's saying it would be better off if you'd never had children. It would be better off, if, it, believe it or not, if your children died before they grew up into that, became a part of that. That's the situation, the circumstances that God was trying to protect them from, but they didn't care. They went rushing headlong into it. So um, here's what we see. As we're looking at that, it's troubling, right? It is troubling to read this and to, to see that taking place. But you know what was more troubling for me as I was reading through this scripture? It was actually in verse 15. And, and it's the, the last part, 15c, if you will. It says this, I will love them no more because all their leaders are rebels. I will love them no more. And so I'm, I'm trying to reconcile this because it doesn't make any sense. So in, in Jeremiah 31.3, it says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So the same God that says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and then also says I will never leave you or forsake you some 64 times in different phrases in different ways throughout the Bible, the same God who said those things also said, I will love them no more. How can that be? How can that be? So I, I dug a little deeper, and here's what I found. The word love in verse 15 here, it's a verb, not a noun. It's a verb, not a noun. And here, here's why that makes a difference. Because a, a verb is an action, right? And so um, love here is an expression. It's an expressive love where when love is a noun, it, it, it speaks to the existence of God's love. And so it's not saying that God will no longer love you because God's love is, is a noun. But it's saying the expression of his love, his blessings, if you will, will no longer be seen by you, experienced by you. I'm going to remove my hand of blessing from you. If you want to go that way, then fine. But I am not going there with you. 
You're going to go there without my love, without my blessing. That was the message that he was sharing them. And, and I think it's, it's, it's important to understand this. God knows that um, when you try to live life apart from him, it's going to lead to brokenness. It, it will lead to brokenness. It always does. And, and I think God's heart was already broken for them because they had rejected him and they were determined to go their own way, to do their own thing. And he said, all right, I want you to go. But I know you're going to be broken. But here's the good news, and I spoke about this four weeks ago. Brokenness is not a bad thing. Actually, brokenness is a good thing. Because it's not until we are broken or we're typically experiencing some adversity in our life that we begin to look to God. And we cry out to God and we seek God. And when that happens, when that brokenness leads to repentance, repentance leads to reconciliation. See, I think God was okay with them going astray because he had hoped that they would experience a brokenness that would lead them to repentance so that their relationship would be restored. You can't have reconciliation unless you first have brokenness and then you have repentance, which ideally and ultimately leads to reconciliation. That's the heart of God, and that's what we see here. Now, um, if you read through chapter 10, again, it's bleak. Um, you see all this pending doom that is awaiting the Israelites because of their disobedience, because of their sin. And as I read it, I'm just wondering, so where is the hope? Where is the hope in all of this? And the beautiful thing, because again, I know this to be true of God. With God, there is always hope. There is always hope. And we see this hope in verse 12. It says this, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Basically, what, what we're seeing here is we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. If you sow righteousness, then you reap a harvest of love. You reap what you sow. But to reap... You've got to begin by plowing up that hard heart. It, it has to be broken, and it has to be plowed so that it is receptive to those seeds of righteousness that ultimately lead to a harvest of love. Let me give you an example. So growing up, um, my dad used to have a big old garden, and uh, I remember you would look out there in the wintertime, and all you saw was a bunch of hard ground. It didn't look very nice at all. And then as spring was approaching, you had to prepare the ground. And at first, it's kind of obvious. You, you remove any stones or stumps or debris. You just clear it all out. And then uh, the next step was to get the rototiller out. Everybody know about a rototiller? We got farmers and gardeners here, right? And so I, early on, I would watch my dad doing it, but as I grew, he'd let me do this as well. And so you bring that, that rototiller out on this hard ground, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, 
But uh, that thing doesn't just dig in. First, it, it is like walking right down there, right? Like, you ever done it? Like, it is hard with that rototiller. Even though it's, it's gas-powered and it's self-propelled, it just walks across the hard ground. You really got to work it. It is a workout, and you got to pull that thing back, and you got to try and hold it still, and you are shaking it as it, it's just starting to break through that hard soil, right? And you make it down one way, and you go down, and then you come back, and you go down, and you go back, and, and you break through that hard surface, and it works you, and it is is a lot of hard work, but guess what? You don't stop there. Then you do it again, but guess what happens in the next phase as you go down and back? You start to find that things that were hidden beneath the surface all of a sudden are dug up. There, There are roots and rocks, and they need to be removed as well, and so you begin to separate them, and so you go down and back, and then you do it a third time and a fourth time, and now you're getting everything refined, and this soil, it's so good. You pick it up in your hands like that. Uh, It would get to the point, it was so soft that you would see your footsteps. As you stepped into the soil, it would come into your shoes, like you would sink into that soil. Have you experienced that? And it was so soft that you could literally just use your finger, you know, to plant the seeds. That's how it, how it was. And then with the proper tending and watering, soon it would burst to new life. It would grow, it would flower, and then it would bear much fruit. I think our hearts are a lot like that. Our hearts are naturally hard towards God. Our hearts are naturally hard towards God. And they have to first be broken if they are to be recipients of God's truth found in his word, those seeds of righteousness. And as you enter into this relationship with God, at first it's kind of obvious. You know, there's some big, big things in your life that you probably recognize they need to go. Like they're a barrier between me and God. You know, they're... There may be, um, maybe it's a, a sexual sin that's there, kind of like Gomer was dealing with. Maybe it's, it's a, a sinful desire that we see. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it lists all these sinful desires. Maybe it's something like that that's kind of obvious and glaring. You're like, yeah, that needs to go. Like, that is a problem. That's a barrier to me and, and God. And so at first, it, it's like, yep, we get rid of that. But then, as you continue to plow up, the soil of your heart, all of a sudden these things that were hidden beneath the surface, things that you didn't even know were there, they kind of get uprooted, right? And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize I needed that to be dealt with. And and here's the good news too. Like God will do the revealing and he will do the removing as well. He'll do the revealing and he'll do the removing. It's not like you just have to work hard to get better. No, God will do that. You need to cooperate You need to subject yourself, if you will, to the plowing. And the beautiful thing is, the more you do that, and the more you allow him to remove these imperfections, if you will, the better it is and the easier it is. And it it begins to, to really allow you to receive the word of God like never before. It begins to speak to you like never before. And then it begins to bear fruit like you've never seen before. And the more you do it, it goes from being a chore or a job to an incredible joy. See, we're called to submit our hard hearts to him, allow them to be broken, to be plowed so that we can receive 
these seeds of righteousness which are found in his word so that it might bear this harvest of love and righteousness. And so this morning I've got a question for you. Actually, I have a few questions for you, but um, some things to think of. Are there blessings in your life that you've allowed to become curses? Are there blessings in your life that you have allowed to become curses? Who are the people or what are the things that have led you away from God? Who are the people or what are the things that you have allowed to lead you away from God? What gifts have you elevated above the giver? What gifts have you elevated above the giver? And then this next one's a little harder. Are, are you willing, are you willing to allow your hard heart to be broken and plowed? To be broken and plowed so that you might be able to receive his seeds of righteousness? Are you willing? To allow them to break and plow your heart, to remove these things that are probably unseen to you? Are you willing to allow him to reveal them and to remove them? And then finally, do you really desire, do you really, really desire to produce a harvest of love in your life, to live a righteous life? Is that a desire of yours? If it is, then let's begin right now and just ask. Let's ask God to do that for us. Again, he is the one that does the work. We just have to cooperate. And so to do that, um, if you're outside, we're going to have some prayer ministers out there. And I think they'll be um, to my left as you're looking on the screen. If you're inside here, uh, they will be up front here. And they would love to pray with you and for you. If you're online, you're on your own. The... Uh, but you can um, just request some prayer, and we would love to do, for that, do that for you as well. But maybe you want to come forward, and, and you want to say, hey, could you pray with me and for me? You know, maybe there are some things that you're not aware of. God will use people like them. God will use people that are close to you to reveal some of these things and to help you in that as well. So I'm going to pray. We're going to give you a few minutes just to reflect and to um, act upon that as some music plays, and then um, we're going to go on from there. So let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much just for your, your provision in our lives. We thank you that while we do have a tendency, just like the Israelites, to, to stray, to be unfaithful, adulterous, um, you know, brides to you, you are gracious. You're a God who pursues us. You're a God who redeems us. You're a God that loves us forever and ever. And Lord, we don't want to get to the point where you would remove your hand of blessing, where we wouldn't be experiencing the expression of your love because we have been so hard-hearted that we've just determined to go our own way and do our own thing. So, Lord, we pray right now, I pray on our behalf, that you would break our hearts, that you would break us so that we might um, be open to you, that we would look to you. And, Lord, you say when we look to you, we will always find you. Lord, so break us. Redeem us. And, Lord, we recognize that that only comes through repentance. So do that work in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.